Good morning. If you're a guest with us today, we're so thankful you're here. We want you to know that you're welcome here at Midway and invite you to come and be with us every opportunity that you have. I know we do have a number of guests today, and we are so thankful for that. Hope that you'll stay with us this morning. As soon as we finish in here, we'll go down and have a meal, and then we'll have a 1 o'clock service today. We will not have a 5 p.m. service. Uh, we will have just the, the morning, then the, uh, the lunch, and then the afternoon 1 o'clock service. Let me ask you a question this morning. If you had the opportunity to ask Jesus just one question, or maybe two even, what would you ask him? Just think about that for a minute. If you could speak to the Son of God and, and just had an opportunity to ask him a question, what would it be? You know, sometimes people would ask silly questions, or at least they didn't think they were silly. They'd want to know, why did giraffes have long necks? Why did you make them like that, Lord? Or why did you make the sky blue? Or why did you make an elephant with a trunk? Or, or you know, you could come up with a number of things. Why, when I stub my toe, does it hurt? You know, you could ask a number of things. And, and they would satisfy your curiosity probably, but in the grand scheme of things, do you really think it would make a whole lot of difference? Why? God made a giraffe with a long neck or an elephant with a trunk or the sky blue or the grass green or, well, it might feel better if you didn't stub your toe and it hurt, but, you know, all of those kinds of things, would it really make a difference? You know, I believe the scribes and the, Pharisees, the, the, the chief priests and the scribes and the Jewish elders, they had an opportunity to ask Jesus a question a long, long time ago while he was here on this earth. And, and different than the idea of a giraffe having a long neck, they ask a question that I believe to be of eternal consequence. It really means something not only to them, but it means something to us today. If you have your Bible, you may want to be turning over to the book of Mark. We'll be reading there. Brother Terry read for us this morning from the book of Mark chapter number 11. But in Mark chapter 11, I want to focus in on verses 27 and 28. He, he read a, a larger part of that. But in verses 27 and 28, the Bible says, And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him, and they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you the authority to do them? Now, if you notice the end of that, they asked two questions there, but as we think about that this morning, what prompted those questions? If you go back to verse number 18 of this chapter, this same chapter here, Mark chapter number 11, uh, we find the, the, the passage says that the, the, these people, these same ones, that they had heard that Jesus had cleansed the temple. He had gone in and he had driven the money changers and, and the merchants who were there. He had driven them out of the temple. And, and so they were wanting to know, after having heard that, why, why did you do that? Why did you drive them out? If you go back to the book of Matthew, chapter 21, you'll find Matthew's account of this same uh, story. And, and one of the things the Bible says in Matthew, chapter 21, is that the blind and the lame came to Jesus and he healed them. And after all of that was taking place, the Bible speaks about how these same people who had been healed, how they praised Jesus, how, how they cried out to his name, Hosanna to the Lord. And the Bible says in that passage in the book of Matthew chapter 21 that the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, these same folks here, 
when they saw what Jesus was doing with these people, when they, they saw the mighty works that he was doing in, in healing these people who had been sick. And so they heard that Jesus had driven the money changers and the merchants out of the temple. They saw with their own eyes that Jesus was healing people, and that prompted them to ask these questions. They want to know at the end of this passage that we see on the screen, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you the authority to do them? And so this morning as we think about that, I I think those are two great, great questions. As I think about that passage, I think about the fact that when they ask the question, by what authority are you doing these things, they are recognizing the need for authority. They they recognize the fact that you have to have authority for what you do. Now, if I ask you this morning to define authority, how would you define authority? Let me give you a couple of things and then I'll see if I can sum it up for so we really grasp it. Somebody said that authority is the power to require and receive submission. Now that sounds pretty good. The power to require and receive submission. But that doesn't really click, you know. In my mind, at least, it doesn't really click. It means somebody's powerful and it means they can, they can do something, but it doesn't really click. Let me give you another one. Somebody else said, superiority, authority is the superiority derived from status that carries the right to command and give final decisions. Well, that's a little bit longer than that first one. And my mind sometimes gets lost in some of those definitions like that. But if I really want to know what authority is, it's that to which we go for the final answer. Who can say what's what? Who can tell us this is right, this is wrong? That to which we go for the final answer. Whether it be to get a command... He gives the, that person can, can give the authority to make a, a, a battle plan and to execute the battle plan or whatever it may be. The authority is the one who can give the final answer for something. And that's what they were asking Jesus here. By what authority? Who, who made you the one who, who could give the final answer to drive these men out of the temple um, to do all of those kinds of things? Let me simply observe this morning that it is impossible to operate without authority. It's impossible to do it. You know, either either someone sets the requirements and carries the right to command the things that we do to to give those final uh, uh, things for us, or we set the requirements and standards ourselves. Somebody gives them to us or we set them ourselves, but either way, We have to have authority for something. Do you realize in the book of Judges, chapter 21 at verse 25, there was a time when the Bible speaks about people were trying to live without authority. But in reality, the authority became themselves. In that passage, the Bible says, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. Do you really know what that looks like? You ever thought about it? What does it look like for a person to do that which was right in his own eyes? Let me tell you what it looks like. It looks like Ferguson, Missouri. looks like Baltimore. looks like Los Angeles and Oakland 
and other places like that that we see on the screen. You see a shoe, shoe store up there. I don't know if you can tell that it's a shoe store, Payless shoe store. And out in the front there are a bunch of empty boxes. That wasn't because they went in and bought their shoes and, and said, man, i got to put these on. They just left their box. They broke in. Liquor store, police car, other things that are burning. That's what people trying to do things in their own way looks. I don't know that it looked exactly like that in the century when the people that uh, we read about in the book of Judges don't know that they were burning police cars. Probably not because they didn't have cars. But it was chaos. Chaos ruled. Chaos reigned because everyone was trying to do that which was right in his own eyes. In the book of Isaiah chapter Number 5, verse number 20, the Bible says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Folks, if you had no need for authority, then who decides what's good and what's evil? Who decides what's light and what's darkness? Who decides what's sweet and what's bitter? And if there's no need for authority, why in this passage, when Isaiah writes, why does he put woe, W-O-E, in front of it? We understand, we know, in our own life that there is a need for authority. It wasn't just the Jews who recognized a need for authority. It's not just us, but Jesus himself recognized a need for authority too. Jesus said to them, I will ask you this question. Answer me and I will, and, uh, I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Uh, he, he wants them to answer a question. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But he speaks about the authority by which he does it. But as we think about it, Jesus also recognized that need for authority. He recognized it. And so when we think about it, the Jews recognized it. We recognized it in our own life. Jesus recognized the need for authority. And so this morning, though he didn't answer directly to them, he did imply that he was under authority. And again, we'll talk about that more in just a moment. But I want you to think about something else that's found here, Mark chapter 11, verses 27 and 28. It's that second question that's asked. They ask the question, by what authority are you doing these things? And they also ask, who gave you the authority to do them? Who gave you this authority? Not only did the Jews recognize the need for the for authority, but they recognized the need for authority to be given for whatever it is that we're doing. And that is a good question. Who gave you the authority to do these things? As you contemplate that question itself, remember what is said in the book of Jeremiah chapter 10. In verse number 23 of Jeremiah chapter 10, the Bible says, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not within himself, that it's not in man who walks to direct his steps. You know, as I analyze that passage and I think about it, it basically says this, man does not have the ability to rule himself. He doesn't have the ability to figure everything out that he needs to figure out 
for himself. He, he does not have the ability nor the power within himself, the authority within himself to live his life. You see, what I think and what I feel may not be what you think or what you feel. And as a result of that, anarchy rules. That's why we get those pictures from Ferguson and Baltimore and Los Angeles and Oakland and Chicago and all of those other places. What I think, what I feel, may not be the same thing that you think or feel. And when we try to put ourselves in the role of being the authority, chaos is what results. It's the only thing that can. Again, as we think about Mark chapter 11, verses 29 through, uh, especially verse number 29, Jesus, when, he, when he's responding to these people who ask him about the authority, he responds to them and says, I'll ask you one question, answer me. And I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John, was it from heaven or was it from man? And then I like the way that, it's, that he finishes that out. He looks at them, almost dead in the eye it seems, and says, answer me. You tell me, which one was it? Did John, when he was acting, you all have heard of John. Surely they had. They knew him. The people were going out to, uh, to hear John preach. They were being baptized by him. He wasn't doing things that were hidden from the eyes of the leaders of the nation. Tell me. When John was living here, when he was acting, what he was doing, did it come from heaven or did it come from man? And so he asked them that question. He says, you, you tell me which, which it is. Now think about that question logically for a moment. When Jesus asked it, if a man can't direct his own steps, if I as a man can't direct my own steps, if I don't have sufficient to to be able to decide everything exactly like it needs to be in my life and to carry it out in my life, then what makes me think that it's okay for some other man to decide that for me? If I can't do it myself, I'm not smart enough to do it on my own, what makes me think I ought to submit to the, to the authority of some other man, some other person, some other human being? But if it's not from man, what about from heaven? When he speaks about it being from heaven, he speaks about it being from God. Does God qualify to be our superior? Does God qualify to be the one who's smart enough to give the final answer for whatever it is that we do in our life? Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, the Bible says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says Jehovah. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. How high are the heavens above the earth? You know, we've launched rockets out into space, and they have traveled for years. And they haven't reached the edge of the height of the heavens above the earth. 
God says, my thinking, my thoughts, my ideas, my plans are that far above yours. I'd say that he qualifies. Really and truly, think about this for a moment. Uh, I know you've probably read the book of Job, but when it gets down to chapter 38 through chapter 41, and, and God sort of begins to unload on Job by asking him all of these questions, Job, where were you when I? And then he lays it out. Where were you when I created the earth and everything in it and you know, figured all of this stuff out? Where were you, Job? Do you understand it? Have you a, do you have a clue? And Job basically had to say, and we're summing it up just in a few words, hmm, I didn't have a clue, Lord. I recognize who you are. I recognize your thoughts are so much higher than mine. Jesus wanted to know. He asked these people. When John came, where did he get his authority? From heaven or from man? Now, as you're thinking about that, you've said, Preacher, why did you call your lesson just a tradition? If you notice that, as we started out, that was the title of it. Been advertising it, you know, in the bulletin for a couple of weeks. Why'd you call it that? When God looks down on the religious world today, what does he see? When God looks down and sees religious people across the world, what does he see? Let me tell you what he sees. He sees Ferguson. He sees Baltimore. He sees Los Angeles. He sees Oakland. He sees Chicago. What do you mean by that? Well, some grab a little of his truth and they run off and they make it their own. And if they don't like part of what God said, they'll set it ablaze. They'll burn it up. They'll try to destroy it, get rid of it. And really and truly, when it all boils down, when God looks at the religious world as a whole, you know what He sees? He sees a group of people who all that matters is that man gets his own way. You see, he sees a group of people, a bunch of people, a world who is defying his authority throughout the world. Many people in our world think it's okay to rebel against authority. That it's okay to rebel against authority. You ever heard of Taylor Beek? B-E-E-C-K? Her name is spelled T-A-E-L-O-R. Taylor Beek is a waitress in Des Moines, Iowa. And she got her 15 minutes of fame back in March of this year. 
Just a few weeks ago, she got her 15 minutes of fame. You see, she was the waitress in Des Moines who, rather than getting a tip for serving a, uh, someone, and she got a note down on the receipt where the tip is usually written in. And the note said this, tips are only for normal-looking people. Tips are only for normal-looking people. She posted it on uh, Instagram or something. She put it on her, uh, her, her social media networks. News, is, news agencies picked it up. Foxnews.com reported on it, had her picture in the, uh, on the website. And I thought this one, one sentence stood out. She's unapologetic about her weirdo looks, which consisted of nothing more than pastel hair, a nose ring, and dangly earrings. I don't know if y'all noticed or not, but pink hair is not normal. I have been and seen a lot of babies in the hospital. And I am yet to see one born with pink hair. Now what is what difference does that make? What are we what are we saying? What's what's the point? People who wear pink hair for the most part are making a statement. I'm bucking the system. I don't accept the usual standards. I'm making my own rules. And, and you know we don't just do that with, with hair colors and things like that. We do it by piercings, body piercings. We do it with tattoos. We do it with other things such as the clothing that we wear. We try to make a statement. I'm rebelling against the norm against the authority of the day. Now translate, translate that over. Have you ever seen churches with musical instruments, women preachers, things of that nature? You see, they too are bucking the system, saying, I don't accept biblical standards. I'm making my own rules when it comes to religion. Having said that, look at Colossians chapter 3, verse number 17. By the way, before we read this, I want you to understand verse 16 in particular speaks about people who have come together to worship God and he talks about the singing that we do. It's one of the passages where we learn about singing. But in verse 17 it says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. As you analyze that passage, you may have some questions. You may have some thoughts. You may, you may say, what does He mean when He says, whatever you do in word? Whatever you do in word. Well, whatever we preach... Whatever we teach, whatever we say, whatever our doctrine is to be, 
And not only does it say whatever you do in word, which is our preaching or our teaching, he also says whatever you do in deed. You see, that's the, the practice. That's the things that we do. He says, whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of Jesus the Christ, in the name of the Lord. What does it mean, in the name of? In the name of simply means by the authority of. There are a number of passages of Scripture where we could illustrate that. Luke chapter 24, 46 and 47 is Jesus Luke gives Jesus' account of the Great Commission. He says, Thus it's written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations, by His authority. And I realize that because in Matthew's account, Jesus starts it out by saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Matthew chapter 28. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter says, Repent and be baptized every one of you. How? In the name of, by the authority of. You see, it doesn't do me any good just to jump in a swimming pool and get wet. If I'm not being baptized in the authority of Jesus. It doesn't do me any good to be baptized just because somebody said it and authorized it. Some, some person said it. The only one who really makes a difference is the one who has authority, and that's Jesus, who came, lived, and died for us. You remember God's ways are above our ways, as high as the heavens are above the earth. And it's not within me to decide it myself, not within me to direct my own steps. In the name of, by the authority of, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4, Paul writes about being assembled together. In that chapter, he's talking somewhat about church discipline, but he says, when you're assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, do you realize this morning that we came together, that we assembled, because Christ authorized it? And the things that we do when we get here are to be authorized by Him. See, we have to ask if the things that we do in worship, if they're from heaven or from men, are they from Jesus or are they from, from some man? Are the things that we do, that we've done so far this morning, are they from men? Are they mere traditions? You don't see an instrument, mechanical instrument? Is that just because we just never had one? You don't miss the fact that every Sunday we partake of the Lord's Supper is that just because we want to fill up an hour and we've always done it? Because that's what our parents did and their grandparents and great-grandparents before them? 
We don't have women preachers or elders or deacons. Is that just because we have a long tradition of not doing that? You see what we do in worship, what we do in word, what we do in deed, what we do in everything. We have to ask, is it from heaven or from man? Folks, if they're from from heaven, if they're from God, listen to me, they are not mere traditions. If they're from heaven, they're not mere traditions. If they're from heaven, they're not optional. If they're from heaven, they must not be changed. If they're from heaven, they must be done only as the Lord has laid them out. And we really and truly have to be careful to separate the man-made traditions from the God-given commands. Do you take the Lord's Supper before or after the sermon? Now we do it here before the sermon. Other places that I've been and I've visited, they do it after the sermon. Which is right. It's right to partake of the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. When it is in the service, sometimes it's the tradition of the congregation. Whether you sing out of a songbook or from the screen, that's a tradition. Two services on Sunday is a tradition. Bible classes are a tradition. As we think about it, we can understand why some of these things are done. The Bible is very clear that we're to study God's Word. We're to teach God's Word. And we do that as a, uh, for the sake of convenience uh, in Bible study, in Bible classes. It's a wise thing to do. Elders use wisdom that God gave them to be able to do these things. But when it comes to our worship and the way that we do it, there are some things that must never, ever change. Next week we're going to be talking about those in more detail and we'll be studying about them just a little bit more. And why we do some things. But I suggest to you that we need to read this passage, verses 31 through 33 again. They discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he'll say, well then, why did you not believe them? And if we say from men, then we're afraid of the people, for all those folks say John's a prophet. And they answered and said, we don't know. And Jesus said to them, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. It wasn't that Jesus didn't have authority. It wasn't that he hadn't been given authority. But the point is, these people refused to acknowledge the authority. The authority that John used in doing what he did, they refused to acknowledge Either way, that it was from God or from man, so they just straddled the fence and said, we can't tell. (coughs) 
Jesus says, it's not going to do me any good to tell you by what authority I'm doing my things either. Because all you're going to do is the same thing. You're going to reject it. And so he remains silent. You see, folks, we have to make a choice. We have to make a choice. Are the things that we do from heaven or from men, we have to choose. We have to study. We have to understand. We have to make a choice. Because one day I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But I have to ask myself, will Jesus withhold that? Those words, because I've refused to acknowledge his authority in what we practice and what we preach. Your decision is not based on what you prefer. It's not what you like. It's not what you think. The decision is based here. In God's revelation, God's word to mankind. If what you practice is not found here, then it can't be from heaven. It's just a tradition. If what you do in worship is found here, then it's not just a tradition. It is a command from God. It is from heaven. Let us always, in whatever we do, in word or in deed, do it by the authority of God. Maybe you're here this morning and you have never obeyed the gospel. We read some things in our lesson this morning about being baptized in the name of, by the authority of Jesus Christ. And if you're here and you've never done that, you are authorized by God to be immersed, baptized, to meet the blood of Jesus Christ so your sins can be washed away. You're authorized by God to do that. And without it, there is no other authorization. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you can be saved. It's only through that. Maybe you're here this morning and in the past you've become a Christian but you've not been living like one. Come back to Him. Ask His forgiveness. Let us pray with you and for you. If you need to respond to the Lord's invitation today, do it right now.